0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rubina podcast. New Life Church is one family many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Rhythms, a series exploring the essence of Christian life, asking, who am I becoming? It's about personal formation, shaping our lives of Christian values, moving beyond the mere thoughts of God to practical habits and disciplines that mirror Jesus. These are our Rhythms. We pray this message is a blessing. Now, friends, my name is Ori. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, it's a wonderful privilege to stand before you. I get to be one of the pastors here at New Life Church. Uh, Welcome to you online as well. You guys usually see me popping up on camera, welcoming you to worship. They've let me out of the studio again, it's becoming a habit. Um, but it's a wonderful thing, and I do enjoy it very much. So welcome to you online. It's amazing that you're joining us from wherever it is that you're joining us, and we've got an amazing team who would love to chat with you and pray with you at any stage throughout the service, so please feel welcome to do that. Uh, Now, something that we like to do at New Life Church to kick off uh, every year, it's something that really energises us and gets us going. Uh, It's a bit of a rhythm that we're in, and that is our Rhythms teaching series. And what we like to do in our Rhythms series is the overarching question is, who are you becoming? And so we explore spiritual practices and disciplines, uh, spiritual habits that God might want you to participate in, that you might be formed to be more like Jesus, and that others might be invited into God's story as a result. Uh, And so if you're just waking up from your holiday slumber, maybe it's your first Sunday back with us. Uh, We're in week three of this. We've been doing this for two weeks already. Maybe it's your first time here today. Let me orient you. Uh, In our first week, we had Pastor Anna Couston preach a fantastic message on the rhythm of meditation. What it means to meditate on God. Uh, what it means to meditate on God's word and the practice of lectio divina, in order to be able to do that uh, effectively. Last week we had Pastor Mike talk on the rhythm of secrecy and what it means to abide in Jesus, and what that looks like and how that uh, is the antidote for the problem of performance that we face in our culture that we live in in this day and age. And today I get to talk to you about the rhythm of feasting. Everyone, say feasting. Not fasting, we're not talking about that, but there is symmetry in the Word of God between the two, and so today we're going to focus on the feasting side of the equation. So before we dive in, I'm going to take a moment to pray for us that we might hear from God and that what God wants to do might happen in our midst today, and then we'll jump straight in to the message. So if you'd like to bow your head, if you'd like to close your eyes, uh, you can join us in prayer now. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege that it is to gather in your presence Lord, you are such a good Father to all of us. You lavish your love on us. You lavish your grace on us. And each and every person, whether they are online or in the room here with us today, uh, is is someone that you want to chase down, someone that you want to uh, envelop in your love and wrap up in your arms. And so I pray, Lord God, as we open your Word and we explore this idea, this rhythm of feasting, that it might be something that helps shape us and form us that it might be something that invites us into your story and it might be something that is a witness to the world around us of your goodness, your grace, your love and your hospitality, your welcome. And I pray all of this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people who agree said, amen. amen, amen. So it strikes me that we're talking about feasting today and Christmas was only a few weeks ago and I'm wondering who here is still feeling a little bit full from Christmas? Just a little bit full? Maybe some of you have had to break out your January pants. Yeah, someone knows what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know your January pants, the ones that, they're not like a fixed stitch or anything like that. They're, maybe they have an elastic band, they've got a drawstring. It helps like, hold them into place to hide like, maybe that extra piece of glazed ham that you took or the extra Christmas cake or the extra uh, pudding or whatever it might be and that you just snuck in there before everything got packed away for leftovers. I was worried that it was just gonna be me, but it sounds like it's a few more than just me, which is a wonderful thing. It's, it's always good not to be alone in that situation. But in any case, Christmas was only a few weeks ago, and I don't know about uh, all of the stories, I know about some of the stories that 2023, as I've had pastoral conversations and chatted with friends and the like, 2023 was a really big year, and it was massive for my family and I. Uh, Our plates were full, there wasn't much room for anything else uh, apart from what was on them. And so it came to this moment where, a little bit last minute, we were hosting our My Extended Family for Christmas lunch on Christmas Day, and there was just so much that was happening, it just felt like there was no capacity for me uh, or asked to take the opportunity to plan for that, and so I went straight into like simple planning mode. And I mean like sausage and salad simple like let's just do away with all of the like expensive, fancy food, let's just not construct all these beautiful dishes, let's just not do that massive grocery list that you divvy up between everyone that's coming and then everyone goes out and gets the groceries, brings it on Christmas morning, let's do away with like climbing over each other in the kitchen and like trying to get that thing out of the oven and then put the next thing in. Someone knows what I'm talking about there. Christmas lunch can look like that, and I'm just like, let's do none of that, let's just keep it really simple and relax and enjoy each other's company. And I can't help but think that as I share that thought, that some of you have already cottoned on to the fact that my wife, Beck was thoroughly unimpressed with that idea. <laughs> she wasn't having a bar of it, and rightly so, with a grand sense of the occasion that was hand at hand, uh, she made a little bit more of a sophisticated plan about how we might go about this Christmas lunch. Uh, that, the fact that we should share uh, amazing food because it's part of our hospitality, it's our gift to my extended family who are joining us with like, different perspectives, different worldviews, different opinions on things. But we're all gathering around this table celebrating the Lord of our, uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ that it's Christmas time, so let's make some fancy food. Let's let's just make it beautiful and make it a picture of something that is worth celebrating. And so that is exactly what we did. And it really struck me in the moment, come time to serve everything across the kitchen bench. Uh, Just the look in the eyes of our guests and my extended family as they feasted their eyes on these beautifully constructed salads and, and as someone was serving up this slow-cooked pulled lamb that was just so like, delicious and juicy and just on the, falling onto the plate, and as they were um, taking the glazed ham and putting a couple of slices on their plate and just the conversation that started happening, I could see in their eyes and I could hear in what they were saying just the appreciation for what was set before them, that there was something to celebrate here, that there was love that was being conveyed. And it wasn't just our hospitality that was on display, but it was God's hospitality that was on display. And so it came to this moment where it was time to give thanks. It was time to say grace. And I was just really thankful that there was something before us that was worthy of giving thanks for. And in that moment, my attitude, my perspective on food, shifted just a bit. And I wonder here today, and I wonder for those of us joining online as well, what your attitude to food is. How you view it? What, how do you look at food? As I'm talking about food and I'm talking about feasting now, what thoughts are conjuring up in your mind? How are you responding or reacting to uh, the story and the words that I'm saying? And I wonder if for some of us food is just simply fuel. Maybe you are pounding the pavement, ready to set a personal best as you run in the Gold Coast Marathon later this year. Maybe you're hitting the gym and you're pushing weight and you've got some fitness goals and you want to become bigger or stronger or leaner or toner or whatever that looks like. Maybe you're even an elite athlete, or if you're like me, you're thoroughly semi-professional, at whatever sport that you do. Um, But food primarily is fuel. It's something that you want to ingest in your body so you can get the calories, so that you can burn the calories, so that you can achieve your goals. It simply just fuels whatever it is you're doing. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're someone that sees food as a chore. Maybe as we're talking about food, you're like, man. I just, I just don't have time for this. I don't know what the process is. I, don't, I can't plan for meals. I don't know what all the nutritional values are. I know I need to eat healthy or do the right thing or whatever that looks like. But I just don't have the capacity to think about that. In fact, the moment that you do, you just think of how full your calendar is and how little time you have in order to engage in a meaningful and helpful way with food and you just go... For others of us maybe food is actually an indulgence, we actually really love food. In fact, if we were to look at your Instagram account, there would be photo after photo of beautifully plated dishes, wonderfully constructed salads, just food that looks amazing and you just know it would taste amazing and there's probably more photos of the food and the places you've gone to eat than there are of your family and your friends and anything else that's happening in your life. And that's okay. It's great to be passionate about food. It's great to be a foodie. There's nothing inherently wrong with food. In fact, God tells us in the opening chapters of Genesis that he provides the trees, he provides plants with seed, that they will bear fruit, that it can be food for us. But sometimes perhaps our food can become an overindulgence or a self-indulgence. Maybe it can move from being a good thing to being something we treat as God. And so... My aim in all of this is to shift our perspective onto maybe a godly view of food in that it might help us develop a rhythm of feasting in our lives. And in that moment at the Christmas lunch that we hosted my extended family, and maybe you've had this moment as well as you've sat before a prepared meal or a feast or something that was on a special occasion, um, I had the sense of this, I had the sense that what was before me was not just food to be finished, Not just food to be finished, but it was a feast to be savoured. That the food was not just food to be finished, but it was a feast to be savoured. And now in Scripture, there's a picture of this that I really love, and I think it paints it well. It shows us that uh, the love of a father, it shows us uh, what happens when a lost son returns to him. And what's interesting about this passage of Scripture, one that's well known, one that you're probably familiar with as we open to God's Word, is that in response to what happens in the story, the father throws a huge feast. And so if you want to open your Bible to Luke chapter 15, pop your thumb on verse 22, and we'll get there in a moment. If you're on a mobile device, you might want to open your Bible app and head to Luke chapter 15. And if neither of those are an option, we'll have some of the words on the screen for you in a moment's time. In this chapter, as Luke records it in his gospel, uh, we meet Jesus who is telling the disciples three stories about things that are lost, and the third story is about the lost son. And so as the story goes, the son decides he's 10 foot tall, bulletproof and he's going to live an amazing life of just partying and living it up. He knows what's best for himself. And so he asks his father to divide um, assets and to give him his share of the inheritance, which is like culturally in that moment in time synonymous with saying, hey, dad, you're dead to me. I'm going to go my own way. And so the father obliges, knowing full well what's probably about to happen and, and as he expects, the son goes off, lives in another city, in another place and just in, entertains and goes into wild living. But he runs out of resources, he runs out of money and then a famine occurs in this land and so he ends up in this space where he's working for a citizen of that nation, helping to like, clean up after the pigs. And he finds himself so desperate, so rock bottom that he's like, he's craving what the pigs are getting for food. And this is of cultural significance because pigs were an unclean animal for a Jewish person. And so he decides as he comes to his senses that he's going to make his way back to his father. But he knows that he sinned against heaven and he sinned against his father. And so he's simply going to go to his father and say, hey, dad, I'm just going to come and be one of your slaves, one of your hired workers, knowing in his mind that he'd at least get a square meal and a place to lay his head. But as he's returning home, the father um, sees him off in a distance and he runs out and he chases him down and he hugs him and he kisses him. He's so excited to see his son has returned home. So full of joy. And the son goes to start saying his prepared speech, I don't deserve any of this, I need to come back and I want to work for you. And he gets interrupted by the father and and the father just turns around to all of his servants and his workers and he says, "Uh, quick, bring the best robe. This is verse 22, Luke chapter 15. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring in the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture. Just think about that for a moment. See it in your mind's eye. A father who loves his kids so much that for all of the rebellion and all of the wild living and all of the going against, what I'm sure the father would have instilled in terms of wisdom and living with purpose and living a righteous life, thrown back in his face and he runs down to chase his son down. He doesn't even wait for him to come up. That's a culturally surprising moment. That's something that wasn't supposed to happen. In fact, what would normally happen is the son would come up and he would say his speech and he would give his peace and, and, and the dad would wait and kind of go, yeah, okay, all right. I'll, I think you've thought about this seriously, so I'll accept that. But no, he runs out with passion and with joy and with love. And I just wonder if you know today that that is exactly how God the Father loves you. I wonder if you're online with us and you know that God loves you in exactly the way that this father runs out to receive his son back into the family. In fact... A little side note, I just feel to share this and if I'm wrong, that's okay, nobody dies and we keep going but I just wonder if some of you are sitting here now or joining us online now and you've come to God, you've got faith in God, you know, yep, God's real and I love God but the way you live out your faith, it still looks like or it still sounds like you're coming as the son returned home with an attitude of, I'm just a servant or I'm just a slave or I'm just this person when actually what God wants to say to you today is that you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. Okay? You are a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are loved by God the Father in ways that just far surpass your intellect and your ability to understand or process. Do you know that about God's love for you today? It's available for each and every one of you. And I just wonder if some of us are selling ourselves short as we walk in communion and relationship with God. But it's beautiful to notice in this story that that is actually how lavish God can be with us. And it was the fattened calf that the father broke out. That's the one that's like sitting off to the side. It's resting, it's aging, it looks beautiful, it tastes beautiful, it sizzles on the pan and the fat drips off it and you just eat. It's like it's probably like a hundred plus dollar plate of Wagyu at like your fancy restaurant that maybe you go to once a year if you've got the time and the disposable income. But in all of this, what I want you to see in this picture and just a simple idea, it's a simple statement, there's no fancy footwork here, but what I want you to see is that feasting as God would understand it, as we would see it biblically in God's word, is simply this, it's a regular communal celebration that reminds us of God's grace. A regular communal celebration that reminds us of God's grace. And so I wonder, what is your rhythm of feasting? Are you, have you had the opportunity to feast in such a way that it might remind you of God's grace in your life? Have you had the opportunity to feast in a way that the love and the care that's put into what's before you can be shared with others, that it might invite them into God's story? And I can't help but think that in this modern day and age, that something that would compete directly against that idea would be what our calendars look like. The modern calendar is full of appointments, full of schedules, full of things to do, full of sport, full of school things. And I just can't help but wonder if time is something we think we don't have to invest into this space. Our modern calendar is built around the rhythms of birthdays and deadlines and appointments and sport. We live in Australia, let's be real, it's, sport is in there. But it stands a bit in contrast to what an ancient calendar might have looked like, in particular what Israel's calendar looked like. It was built around the rhythms of feasts. Our calendars might be full of all that stuff, but their calendar was full of a rhythm of feasting. And there's so many of them, I made sure I wrote them down so I don't miss any. First one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then there's the Feast of Firstfruits, then there's the Feast of Pentecost, then there's the Feast of Trumpets, then there's the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, you might have heard. Then there's the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, as you might have heard it. Then there's the Feast of Dedication, Purim, and the one that I want to focus on today, the Feast of Passover. Has anyone heard of Passover? Yeah, most of us have. Years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, go and do some supplier ministry up at another uniting church on the northern end of the Gold Coast. And uh, as it would come towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they would hold an additional worship service. And this worship service was called a Maundy Thursday service. And it was, funnily enough, in that season of life, it was the first time I'd heard of it. And it was uh, a really uh, interesting, wonderful experience to be a part of. Uh, And what I learned on that night that I did that, um, was part of that service, was that um, the Passover meal was a part of that celebration and what was set before us Um, was set out in a particular way, and it was a particular set of ingredients and included things like a roasted shank bone, which represented the Passover sacrifice. There was an egg present, which is um, about the circle of life. There was bitter herbs, which was to represent the bitterness of slavery. There was hariset, which is an apple-like mixture with wine, nuts and apples, and that was to show or to represent the mortar that was used by the Jews in Egypt. And there was also pieces of matzah, a cracker-like unleavened bread that represented the bread the Israelites took with them when they fled Egypt. And so on. What's really interesting and what struck me about that in that moment, in, in that season of my life, was how symbolic what everything was that was on the plate, that it had some meaning, that it was pointing to something. I think in our modern setting, it's all about the food, isn't it? It's about how good it tastes. It's about how good it smells. And sometimes it doesn't go past just our experience of those things, of the taste, of the deliciousness of it, of how amazing it was to be in that moment. But in ancient times and in these practices and these rhythms of feasting, they actually point to something. They tell a story about God and his grace and his mercy and how God took his people through uh, a season of slavery and rescued them from it and redeemed them from it and this meal is a reminder. The ingredients are important and they have their place but they're not the hero. I'm sure if you go out for your brunch or your lunch uh, after our services today um, or if you're fixing yourself lunch at home tomorrow, uh, after this afternoon I mean, um, you might... Uh, if you were presented with bitter herbs. You might not even eat them. And if you did, you'd probably send your dish back to the chef in the kitchen say, hey, something's not right about that. But there's something about the fact that when it's in this feast of Passover, it's in this ceremonial feast and you partake of it and you sit with the taste, there's an experience in that. There's something in that that helps you to remember and to pay honour to God for what he has done. And so I wonder how we can shift some of our eating in that direction, that we can develop a rhythm of feasting that pays honour to God, that points to God's story and helps invite others in. And what's really interesting about that Passover, uh, or about the Passover and, uh, and where it sits in that uh, rhythm, is that it was actually Passover week. Uh, that was in front of uh, Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected again. It was Passover week where Jesus had that meal known as the Last Supper with his disciples and they gathered around the table and he said, take this cup and drink from it. Take of this bread, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In fact, in that moment, what Jesus was demonstrating was that Jesus is our Passover Jesus is the fulfilment of the Passover. That The Passover that's celebrated in this meal is when uh, the Israelites would paint their doors with the blood of the sacrifice, that the consequence and the judgement of what was happening at that time in Egypt uh, was coming for those who were disobedient, those who were keeping God's people under slavery and to paint your door meant that the judgement, the consequence that God was bringing would pass over you. And that that continued on throughout the course of history. We arrive at this point where Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfilment of this. And I institute a new meal. And that you would come and feast on me. In communion, the sacrament that we celebrate regularly, that we're in the rhythm of, we feast on Christ. We're sustained as disciples. The whole gospel is there the sacrifice of his blood, the brokenness of his body on the cross, his spirit being received by us, that we're nourished, our souls are nourished and fed, and that we're sustained in order that we can follow God and walk in his ways and witness to the world the grace and the love of God. Jesus came and instituted that meal that we would feast on him and that we would have a regular rhythm of feasting on him. And I wonder, friends, are you feasting on Jesus? Are you feasting on Jesus today? This rhythm then continued. The early church, not long after Christ's resurrection was established, the spirit poured out on the church. Many people, many nations, many tongues came together And the church was started. This kicks off in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read from the scripture. And it gets to this point that describes what's called the fellowship of the believers. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. And here's the key verse, verse 46. It's up on the screen at the moment. It says Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day. They gathered together. They broke bread. Can you imagine the different people from the different nations gathering around the table? Can you imagine people who were Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders gathering around the table? All of these people that have got disagreements about things, that have got things to say about issues, all united in one thing and one thing alone, Christ. I can imagine that there would have been uncomfortable moments but moments that would have pointed to the unity that can be found in God and God alone. And so I wonder, as we continue to think on this idea of a rhythm of feasting, if you've had the opportunity to build this rhythm already. Now, as a preacher, I like to try my best to come up with sticky statements and lines that you remember in order that uh, you might remember what was said and then go and do something about it that God might uh, be honoured and glorified in that and we might see lives changed as a result and I, I just can't think of a better line than the one that I got to preach last year you might recall we had a series called Dinner with Jesus and so much of But What happens in Jesus' life in ministry, as well as the early churches we just read, uh, happened around a table. And so there was a message that I preached called, Who is missing at your table? Who is missing at your table? Does anyone remember it? I'll take that one, yes. That's a win. But seriously... I would ask and I would challenge I don't get to check up on homework all the time um, but maybe today's an opportunity to do so have you had the opportunity to invite someone who is missing at your table friends that is not supposed to be a comfortable experience all the time who is it in your life that looks different thinks different talks different to you that God might actually gently be nudging you to invite to your table And so that's the first of three questions that I want to frame the rest of our time together in. Who are you inviting? Who are you inviting as we think of a rhythm of feasting? The second one is, how are you celebrating? The thing about this is it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be elaborate. And from a pastoral perspective, I'm aware that we're living in a cost of living crisis and that... uh, You might hear me tell stories about fancy food and elaborate feasts and and think, how can I possibly do that? It's hard enough to pay the grocery bill. The thing about this is, is that whatever you have, whatever you have, can be put forward and given to God as an offering that others might come and enjoy it and be a part of God's story. some simple ways that you can take your eating or your uh, food towards feasting, a rhythm of feasting is simply, maybe it's as simple as uh, taking the opportunity to say grace. Maybe when there's others in your presence, you might just simply give thanks for the food. Maybe you might want to share a word of scripture or maybe you want to share something that God's put on your heart to share in that moment as you've invited people to gather around the table. But it's simple things like that under God's leading, that can help transform just normal eating or just normal enjoyment of food into a rhythm of feasting, that others might get the opportunity to feast on God with you. In fact, there's a quote, I'm <coughs> oh, sorry, there's a question, the third question that I was going to ask is what is your rhythm? It's simply that. What cadence, what pace? Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it monthly? Is it on the odd occasion? What might God be saying to you in this moment to help you establish a rhythm of feasting, that it's not just one and done. It's not just some monumental thing that doesn't happen again, but it becomes a regular practice. It becomes a regular rhythm that we might feast on God. Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford, who wrote a book called Right Here, Right Now on missional living and practices, They share this quote, they say, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices that we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. It's one literally short of a youth rally. But it's true, if we establish that rhythm, if it's a stranger or a poor person, or, and that can be poor in spirit, not just poor by natural means, then we would see the world changed. And this is so important because it can be the difference in someone's eternal relationship to God. And someone that benefited from a rhythm of feasting that invited them into the reality of God was Rosaria Butterfield. She was a former English professor at Syracuse University. English professor in women's studies this a couple of decades ago, cast your mind back. And she wrote an op-ed piece that, that opposed some views of this men's ministry uh, that was uh, going at the time. Clearly they thought differently about a few things. And what happened in response to that was a pastor wrote to her a letter to disagree with what she had to say, but he did it so kindly and so compassionately that they actually started a friendship. And she was writing a book about this op-ed piece. It was going to grow into a book. She was going to publish it and release it to the public. Uh, And so she actually had her sights on him as an unpaid research assistant. She thought, great, (laughs) if I can be friends with this guy, he's going to help me do the work that I'm trying to finish. And so as part of this process, she was reading like passages and pages and chapters of Scripture, not for the same reason you or I might read it, but in order to argue against it and to call it out for being old-fashioned and traditional and not helpful in our postmodern world today. And at some moment in time, she actually came to saving faith in Jesus Christ through that act of reading the Scripture. But what on-ramped her into that, what built the path to invite her into that, was what she calls radically ordinary hospitality on the part of this pastor and his wife. See, in that whole season, which probably, I think it spanned nearly two years, on such a regular basis, weekly at least, this pastor and his wife would have an open home, open table, anyone who needs to come and have dinner, we're making so much of it, you're welcome to come in, fly in, whatever that looks like, come and enjoy a meal with us. And so she did. And she expected to get shouted down and told how wrong she was and that um, you know, she, she needed to not put her thoughts out into the world and not be helpful. She thought she was going to come up against such conflict and resistance that she was just going in there with just like armed and ready to fight. But she was so shocked by what she encountered, what she actually saw, what she actually experienced was people who loved her, people who accepted her for who she was, where she was at at that time. Maybe not necessarily agreeing with or approving of different things uh, about her lifestyle or her choices, but accepting her for who she was at that time. And just loving her. Any week she decided not to go, any week that she wanted to like, put distance there and not engage in being a part of their practice, of their rhythm of feasting, they would call her and they would chase her down and they would ask her where she was and she just felt so, so loved by them that it actually broke open her heart to receive the love and the grace and the reality of Jesus Christ. And so she sums it up in her book like this, that radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home, and she says, in a daily way that seeks to make strangers' neighbours and neighbours family of God. And then she goes on further to say, our post-Christian neighbours need to hear and see and uh, Fast and feel authentic Christianity spreading from every Christian home that includes neighbours in prayer, food, friendship, childcare, dog walking and all the daily matters upon which friendships are built. Friends, there's nothing more accessible for us to do. There's nothing more radically ordinary than to establish a rhythm of feasting in our lives. It can be as simple as changing a meal to have others around the table. It can be as simple as changing a birthday to share a passage of scripture or something that might point to the love and the reality of God. It might be something as simple as having coffee around the table. And through sharing that and through the practice of gathering people together, there might be opportunities for conversations. There might be opportunities to share a thought. There might be opportunities to correct some thinking in order that God is made real and present and that others are invited into the story. So it's as simple as that, friends. Invite three people. Invite three people. Invite people to your table. It can be three people. It can be more. Turn some of your eating into feasting and develop a rhythm of feasting that points to the reality of God and invites others into God's story. Friends, develop a rhythm of feasting in your life. Now, as we come into a time of response, there's something that left off the story in Luke chapter 15. That lost brother was a younger brother. That younger brother had an older brother. And as the feast was happening and as everything was going on, the celebrations were getting raucous and everyone was just full of joy and partying and celebrating this amazing picture of this father receiving his son back into the family and into the home. The older brother walked up, asked the servants, what's going on? What's happening here? Why is this happening? And then he asks for his father so he can speak to his father and he says to him as the scripture describes to us um, as the father was pleading for him to come in and to partake in the festivities. His father, um, he said to his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Whoa. The older brother who could have joined in with everything else that was happening, he was full of something. He was full of arrogance. He was full of pride. He was full of entitlement. And he was so full that he was unable to feast. And so as we respond to God in this moment, and we'll sing a song of worship together to honour and to praise God and all the wonderful acts and works he's done in our midst and in our lives, I wonder if there's some of us here today that we're so full, we can't feast on God. There's no room. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take a moment to offer an opportunity. If you're sitting here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ before, if you know that your life is full of stuff that's stopping you from feasting on God, that's stopping you from receiving His love for you. I just wonder if you might pop your hand in the air as a show of response. Is that you today? Thank you, Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, You can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.